the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Last time, uh, it was a it was a tough show. Uh, we had to really unpack the many rulings concerning chapter 65, verse 4 of the Quran, the, the pretext basically to child marriage, which is one of those embarrassing uh, verses in the Quran that you find a lot of Muslims basically trying to hotly uh, debate you on and uh, try to argue that uh, the Quran does not really, uh, you know, basically discuss the child marriage, meaning marriage of uh, a child wife who is under the age of puberty, but uh, what we have shown you last time and possibly even continuing today proves otherwise. With me here to unpack all of this, as always, our dear brother Lloyd DeYoung, who is joining us virtually uh, into our studios. Uh, Lloyd, thank you so much, brother, for joining us, and uh, we appreciate the work that you've done. And I have to admit, brother, it was a very tough show for me last time. I know. It's it's hard to read that. It's very hard. But this is the truth. This is what is consistent across every single school of fiqh in Islam. So uh, uh, what are we going to cover today uh, by way of at least building upon what was discussed last time? So I'm going to finish the discussion that we had on 65.4, just add one or two more rulings. Then we're going to look at well, what is the sharia, just introduce a little a definition of the term. And then we'll look at what is a deen. We discussed that in one of the earlier shows. What is a deen? Islam is not a religion. It defines itself as a deen, and we need to get to know what that is. Wonderful. So please um, go ahead. Okay, so to continue from our discussion on Quran 65.4, let's have a look at the rulings or a ruling on stoning adultery, and on remaining a virgin. It says here in ruling 0.12.2, if the offender is someone with the capacity to remain a virgin, then he or she is stoned to death. Defined in section 0.12.6, what they mean by stoned to death. It, it explains here what kind of stones and how to kill that person with the stones. And if it is someone with the capacity to remain chaste, meaning anyone who has had sexual intercourse at least once with their spouse in a valid marriage and is free of age and sin and so on. However, notice here, a person is not considered to have the capacity to remain a virgin if he or she is prepubescent at the time of marital intercourse. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I hope that clarifies that this person in fact, doesn't have the capacity to say no. You see, they do not have the capacity to remain a virgin if they are prepubescent at the time of marriage. In other words, they cannot say no to their husbands. I see. All right. Say again, please, Alfadi. No, I said, uh, you know, I see. I mean, it's, it's very clear. 
So, yep. okay. Yeah. Moving on uh, to the next one. Yep. Right. So now let's look at rules, regulations, legalistic thinking. So shari, clearly defined way, a main road, a highway, and so on. Many, many different terms, but a clearly defined way, a method. Shari was the generally was generally the term for a main arterial road. Okay, so it's a clearly def- so it's a road. Sharia can mean road, but also a way. But notice it says a law given characteristically to Muhammad in his function as model and exemplar of the law. Muhammad is the perfect example. He is the one that has shown what the law of Allah is, and in fact, Muhammad is the lawgiver with Allah. In fact, the term lawgiver, the lawgiver in the Sharia is synonymous with Allah and Muhammad. They carry the same weight. They are effectively the same person. So within the Sharia, Muhammad may as well be Allah. What he does and says is the law. So this, I believe, would be shirk, but he carries exactly the same weight as Allah does. Sharia, a prophetic religion in its totality. So, okay, within Muslim discourse, the rules and regulations, these would be political and legal, governing, see, political and legal, the lives of Muslims. It is Islamic jurisprudence. It is a legal system, but it goes well beyond that. And don't forget, it applies to non-Muslims too. So Sharia designates in the hadiths a way way or a path divinely appointed. But we know that Allah is the lawgiver. So it's not just a moral law. It is actually civil law. So I will continue. So Islam is a deen. A deen is a socio-political system. A deen is not a religion, right? So understand Islam is a totalitarian political system, very much in line with what we would call Nazism, uh, fascism, communism. We're going to look at that for a moment. So deen embodies perspectives on existence, life, society, and a socio-political system. Islam is a complete and competing ideology and a system of life and society, a political ideological system. For Muslims, Islam emerges as a superior ideology, towering, far, far superior, perfect in other words, over any other isms, take capitalism or whatever system you follow, and the resultant socio-political systems. Sharia, or sorry, a deen, is a political framework for managing mankind's affairs, not the affairs of Muslims, the affairs of mankind, a political framework. So the linguistic meaning, let's, what does deen mean? So the famous classical Arab dictionaries, Al-Qamus al-Muhit and Lisan al-Arab, this is 20 volumes, this is the earliest, the largest, and these two are the most popular of the Islamic dictionaries. They state that there are four meanings of deen. One, subjugation and dominance ownership government administrative or legislative authority does any of that sound religious to you alfadi no no um, you know it, it does not really i mean it seems like everything hopefully people are noticing it's based on man-made rules i mean that's what it is including muhammad of course yes, yes. two obedience and bondage bondage hmm. subordination and dominance under the power of others So repeat that, obedience and bondage, subordination and dominance under the power of others, being dominated by others. Three, rules and regulations, doctrine, ideology, tradition. And then, notice here it says all religion, not and religion, all religion. In other words, it can also perhaps mean religion, but it first means these things. And then finally, reward and repayment, justice and accountability. Let's continue. 
The first meaning is subjugation or dominance, administrative or legislative authority. This is a legal political authority, a legal political system. To put pressure to be obedient or using power to enslave or to make one obedient, to make you obedient using power to enslave you. In Arabic, Dantuhum Fadanu means I subjugated them, so they obeyed me. Also, Dantuhu means I ruled or governed upon him. Thus, the word Dayan is used to indicate a person who dominates and rules over a state, over a nation, or over a tribe. Again, political dominance, a totalitarian political system. The second meaning is obedience and bondage, subordination and domination by someone, and bearing humiliation under subjugation and the power of others. Domination by someone and bearing humiliation under subjugation and the power of others. The obedient tribe is called Kamun Dayinun. Here, Adin does not mean religion. It means obedience. And let's continue. Let's, let's put this in a list. This is not, I'm sure this list can be expanded. Let's have a look. Ownership, government, administrative authority, legislative authority, subordination, dominance, doctrine, ideology, tra tradition. And then number 10, this is the one that everyone argues about. Oh, Islam's religion. Well, that's number 10 in the list of priorities. Number 10. So in other words, there are two more, justice and accountability, and we are stuck here seeing Islam only at this level. Uh, your thoughts, Al-Fadi, before I continue? And we're ignoring all of the rest. We're ignoring all of the rest. Your thoughts, no, please continue. No, not a problem. You're doing a sure. great job. Thank you. Okay. So briefly, Hebrew and Jewish origins. Deen means law in Hebrew. Now, of course, if you, look at, if you look up any of these words, you can find two or three or a dozen or 500 different meanings, certainly. But we'll just define it. We'll, re, we'll confine ourselves just to this for the moment. This is accurate, sufficient, sufficiently accurate. So deen means law in the Hebrew. Notice they've taken the word deen from the Hebrew. And Islam is the deen al-haq, meaning the truth or the right. Conversely, Christianity or Judaism are the deen al-battle, the false, the void religions, the religions of Satan. Battle being a name of Satan, name of Satan. Deen is the same word as the Jewish haq, the statutes. So notice the deen ul-haq. And here you've got the Jewish haq. This should show you that they've taken this concept directly out of the Talmud. Now, this is not to say they've only taken Jewish law, but they've taken significant amount of what created the Sharia straight out of the Talmud and out of Jewish law. Right. So for more, if you download the link to the Jewish Roots by Judith Romney Wegner, see footnote number 151 in the Four Roots book, page 59, if you want to go have a look at that. I'll continue. Ah, I'm going to skip that slide, so I'll continue here. So Islam has divisions and it has levels. It has two divisions and four levels. The first division is what's called the Sharia, right, which is the law. The Sharia means Basically, this is about obeying Allah. It is the zahid, the outer, the exoteric. It is the outer meaning or the outer practice. It is the first plain level of meaning. We then have what's called the hakika, the knowledge. There are many different ways to explain this. We'll leave this for now as that. Hakika means to know Allah, to know the personality of Allah, the mystical appreciation, understanding of Allah. This is the batin, the inner or the esoteric, the secret knowledge. It is the inner direct personal knowledge and experience or the gnosis of Allah. You must understand that when you read the Sharia, it explicitly claims that Islam is a Gnostic religion. It explicitly claims that its top scholars are Gnostics. This is confirmed within the Sharia. And there are four levels. I'll briefly run through those before we end. There are four levels. So you have two divisions, the Sharia and the Hakika, obeying the law and knowing Allah. Right, the external, the internal, the first plain level of meaning, meaning, and this deeper spiritual 
mystical level. The ibada is the literal, the zahir. So it's the ibada, the ishada, the lataif, and the haqaiq. You have implied, allusion, sign, gesture, a more subtle level of meaning. This is the level for the lay Muslim. This is for your imams, for some imams. Not all imams are of the same level of training. Then the lataif, this is your third level, the nuances, the subtleties, and then the haqaiq, the reality, the truth, the divine essence. This is for your highest level of imams. This is for your highest level of Islamic scholars. And well, I'll pause here, Al-Fadi, and we'll continue. I think this should be sufficient to... Well, to introduce this. Thank you so much, brother. And I can, uh, uh, you know, appreciate the fact that people now can see the correlation between the uh, Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, and the Sharia. And I like the way you basically is taken as systematically, methodically, um, uh, I mean, uh, 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 methodolog- <laughs> uh, Method- <laughs> methodically, methodically, uh, basically, and and trying to show the connection between the two. You didn't dive right into it from day one, from episode one. You're built in into this, and you, and people begin to see now, and it makes sense. Uh, you know, Islam needed a law, and it has to develop that law, and over the course of time, of course, began to adapt and enhance and innovate and improve, and uh, no doubt, Islam probably have its own unique ways of doing things, but it has to build it upon something that was commonly known. So thank you so much right. for doing that, brother. Yeah. If I may add one thing, Al-Fadi, the Ibara is the level of the lay Muslim. This is the level of knowledge he is legally allowed to have, and this is where the Quran exists. It is The Quran literally is the lowest level of knowledge in Islam. And wow. this is where the Hadith, or some of the Hadith sit as well. So this is the lowest level of knowledge. The Quran means this is the basic lowest level. And, and that's what, what we said earlier. If uh, left to, to the Quran alone, uh, a lot of Muslims will not know what to do uh, with many things, obviously, including like how many times to pray, how to pray, and all that kind of stuff. So thank you for highlighting that. Everyone, this is Al-Fadi. Until we meet again next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Last time we actually showed the tie between the Jewish Talmud and also Sharia and the connection between the two. Now we are going to take another deeper dive in relationship to all of that. And of course, uh, with us here virtually in our studios, our dear brother Lloyd DeYoung, who will help us unpack all of this. Lloyd, welcome back, brother. Thank you very much, Al-Fadi. Honored to be here. Uh, yes, we will go further. I'm introducing these pieces. We will go into much more depth in all of these, the history, the development, the ties to the Talmud. We will go into much more depth in the future. And we ended here with the two divisions and the four levels of Islam, in the divisions into the Sharia and the Hakika, the esoteric, spiritual, mystical side. This is the literal legal side and the divisions into or the four levels of Ibara, Ishara, Lataif, Hakaik, and that lay Muslims are all on this level, the basic level of Islam, the first level, as well as the Quran is read and understood at that level. Now, I want to continue with the purpose of the law. What is the purpose of the Sharia and of the fiqh? So Islamic law deals with two broad aspects of regulation. There are laws that deal with man's duty to Allah, the ibadat, the five pillars of Islam, the profession of the faith, the prayer, the fasting, almsgiving, and pilgrimage. 
Now, all of this is generally dealt with first in the Fiqh books. So these five pillars of faith, your duty to Allah, the Ibadat, generally in the books of the Fiqh, we'll ex- all of these words will be described and explained as we go forward. Right? So these legal texts, this is generally dealt with first. Then laws governing human relations or ma'amalat or transactions, because everything is transactional in Islam. It's very much transactional. It's based on effectively the law of commerce, commercial transactions. So these are marriage, divorce, and commerce. Now, ibadat is, according to the Encyclopedia of Islam, submissive obedience to a master. Notice, the duty of faith here is submissive obedience, like a slave would be, and acts which bring the creature into contact with his creator. And notice, this is not a spiritual act. It is simply follow these rules, do these things, and this will bring you into contact with Allah. Remember, Muslims are at the lowest, lay Muslims are at the very lowest level, the ibara. They are not on the Athaic side, therefore they cannot have spiritual knowledge of Allah. They have to follow the rules. All of this again, we'll cover. And submissive means allowing yourself willing to be controlled, inclined or ready to submit, to yield to the authority of another, unresistingly obedient, unresistingly. Right? This is very important for us to note. Uh, yeah. Now, Let's look at Quran 6.18, Allah, the forceful subjugator. We're going to look at Ibn Khaldun. He was a very famous imam, very highly trained imam, and a very famous historian of Islam from 1332 to 1406. Quran 6.18 says, he is the subjugator over his servants. So this is why a deen is subjugation, because Allah subjugates people. People don't worship him out of love. He subjugates them. Ibn Khaldun in the Muqaddimah, he's very famous. This is his magnum opus, says, Allah exercises forceful domination over his servants, right? Quran 6.18. And it should be known, he says, after the removal of its prophet, a religious group must have someone to take care of it, obviously a caliph, to cause the people to act according to the religious laws. So he must force the sharia to happen. He urges the obligations imposed, not politely requested, imposed upon them. The human species, not just the Muslims, must have a person who will cause them to act in accordance with what is good for them. What is good for you is the sharia and who will prevent them by force from doing things harmful to them. Well, yeah, to go against the sharia is harmful, and therefore you must be prevented from doing so by force. Such a person is the one who is called the ruler in the Muslim community, and that's obviously a totalitarian, violent ruler by implication here. In the Muslim community, the holy war is a religious duty because of the universalism of the Muslim mission and the obligation to convert everybody to Islam either by persuasion or by force. Caliphate and royal authority are united. There is no separation between church and state. So that the person in charge can devote the available strength of the ummah to both of them. And it states here, the other religious groups did not have a universal mission. And the holy war was not a religious duty to them. It actually admits that holy war, jihad, is a religious duty upon Islam, but not upon other religions, unless it was for the purposes of defense, right? So understand, they are not under obligation to gain power over other nations, as is the case with Islam. He states here very bluntly, Muslims and Islam is under obligation to gain power over other nations. This is the case with Islam. Other religions are merely required to establish their religion among their own people. Now, Let's look at the sources of the law. There are two main source categories for discovering the law. These are the revealed or the root sources, 
the Quran and the Sunnah, which can include the Hadith and the Sirah, the, what they call the biographies of Muhammad, but really are the Gospels of Muhammad. Then you've got the practical sources, the ijma, the scholarly consensus. You have ijtihad, independent legal reasoning. In other words, applying your mind, using analysis to figure out what does this mean? How do I apply it to this situation that I've come across? And qiyas, comparison, analogy. We'll talk more about these. Now, ijma from the Encyclopedia of Islam. In law, it is the third, but in practice, it is the most important of the sources of legal knowledge. The ijma is the consensus of the major scholars. So it is the most important source of legal knowledge. It's a tradition being passed on, being the unanimous agreement of the community. And when they say community, they mean the community of scholars, really, which is then followed by the ummah on a regulation imposed by Allah. It is the unanimous doctrine and opinion of the recognized religious authorities. This this section here, this can be ignored. This is fixed. The ijma is fixed. It cannot be abrogated, cannot be annulled, cannot be changed. It is permanent. It was decided centuries ago, and it is done. Right. So notice it doesn't say the Quran. It says the ijma, the interpretation of the Quran by the major scholars. What is ijtihad mutlak in law, the creative act of ijtihad through which the founding imams, the four imams of the four schools of fiqh, derived from the revealed sources, a systematic structure of law. So they applied themselves, and then they came up with this absolute law. Mutlak is absolute. Let's have a look. Mutlak means absolute as opposed to restricted. Right. So mutlak is absolute law. The sharia is absolute law. Now, the four roots, the proofs of Islam. The proofs of Islam refers to proofs that mujtahids rely on when they deduce and describe the rules of Islam. What are these proofs? They are the Qur'an. This is the divine scriptural revelation, like the Torah was for the Jews. You have the Sunnah, the oral tradition of Muhammad, the Hadith plus Sira, the Ijma, the consensus of the jurist. This is the most important of these sources of law. The reigning opinion, that opinion has been set centuries ago, and this is what is really believed. The Qiyas, juristic logical argument or comparative analogy. Deducing a judgment for a case based on similarities to a case found explicitly in the religious texts, right? If you do not find a case in the religious text explicitly that matches the situation you're dealing with, you then have to think about how do I apply this? That's when you're doing ijtihad. So there are some differences between the word sharia and fiqh, right? The sharia is revealed. It is eternal. This is like the Quran. It is revealed. It is derived from Quran and Sunnah, so there's some interpretation that's involved there. It is broad and general. It is not specific. Notice it cannot be abrogated. It cannot be changed. It cannot be annulled. However, the Quran is abrogated. Understand there are multiple kinds of abrogation. There are types of abrogation you've never heard of within Islam, but the Quran can abrogate the Quran. This we know. However, the Hadith can abrogate the Quran as well. So a newer Hadith can abrogate an older Quranic verse. A newer Quranic verse can abrogate an older Hadith, and a newer Hadith can abrogate an older Hadith. So, and in fact, that's, that's just getting started with this stuff. But understand, the Quran can be abrogated by Hadith. Hadith can abrogate Hadith. Hadith can abrogate Quran. Quran can abrogate Hadith. Quran can abrogate Quran. The fiqh. The fiqh is understood. It is what we derive from, what we think, right? It is understood and applied. So you read the Quran, you come to an idea, you understand what happened in the revealed sources a certain way, and you apply it. It is derived from and constrained by the Sharia. It works within these narrow confines of the Sharia. These are narrow, specific issues, 
right, specific points of law, and it is has limited adaptability, is based on new information or perceived need. So there is a level of adaptability there, but the Sharia, this opinion of what, the, what these revealed sources say, that is fixed in time. So the scholarly consensus, the Ijma for integrals. Now, have a look if you have an opportunity to download this, links in the description. Have a look at Reliance, B7.0 page. Okay, in fact, I need to go there now. This is Al-Fadi, over and out. God bless you. Let us reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C I R A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAinternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.